All right, let's take our Bibles at this time. We're going to turn to the book of Psalms once again, Psalm 119. And verse 113 is where we're going to begin tonight. And uh, this study through Psalm 119 has been a blessing for me. I've been encouraged as I've kind of worked my way through this and just noticing each individual section of the psalm kind of highlighting a different thought. There is a lot of overlap in some of the things that are stated and, and, and certain things are even repeated. But, uh, but all the way through, we see kind of some of the different aspects of a life that is, is lived uh, or, or the psalmist trying to live a life for the glory of God. And so uh, here we are in Psalm 119, verse 113. And if you're able, let's stand together as we read down through verse 120 tonight. The psalmist here says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. I want to preach to you tonight on... The subject, staying pure in a wicked world. Staying pure in a wicked world. I think you'll see what I'm driving at there as we get into the message tonight. Let's pray. Father, we need your help tonight to see your truth and to understand what you have for us here. Lord, I pray that each person here would, would have the sincere desire to live a life that's pleasing to you. But beyond desire, Lord, would you help us to learn from your word how to safeguard our lives and live in a way that is pleasing to you, that we could stand before you in judgment with confidence and boldness and not be ashamed. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I believe that in this particular section of the psalm, what we really see is the psalmist expressing here a desire to live right before God. There are several statements that he makes at the end of verse 113, for instance, he says, thy law do I love. He says in uh, verse number 115, at the end of the verse, I will keep the commandments of my God. At uh, the end of verse 117, he says, I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. And then by the end of 120, or uh, verse 120 says, my flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. We get the idea here that the psalmist is saying, I really want to live a life obedient to the word of God so that when I stand before him in judgment that I don't have to do so with fear, that I can be confident that I've lived a life pleasing to the Lord. And I think what we're really seeing here is kind of we're getting a glimpse into the, the, the life of a, a righteous man and his struggle to stay pure and pleasing to the Lord, 
as someone who recognizes the danger of living in this evil world that we live in. And I want to show you in here kind of an interesting contrast, I think. In verse number 114, he says, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. And what's he saying? I find my, my comfort, my safety, my shelter in the Lord. Uh, he is my peace. He is my comfort. But by the end of this section in verse 120, he says, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee. And I am afraid of thy judgments. How is it possible that, I, that in one breath I can say how much comfort and peace and protection I get from the Lord and in the very next breath say I am afraid of him. I'm fearful of the fact that I'll stand before him. And, but those of you who, who walk with the Lord, you know this to be the case, right? He is our greatest comfort. He is our greatest shelter. All the peace that we have comes from him. And yet... When we approach the Lord, we understand that there, there is a degree of fear and, and reverence and even trepidation about the fact that one day that, that, that the God who protects us and shields us and, and loves us and cares for us is also going to judge us. And, and there, there is a degree of fear in that. And, and there's kind of this, uh, I, I guess, struggle in our lives of, okay, I, I want to find my shelter and my, my hope in the Lord, but I also am aware that I really don't want to, on, on one hand, I want to do what's pleasing in his sight because he's so good. On the other hand, I also know that he can be quite terrifying. <laughs> um, I, I kind of can relate to this somewhat. I had a good relationship with my dad growing up. Uh, he was a friend to me. I enjoyed being around him. But I also knew that there was a side of my dad that I feared. There, there was uh, an aspect of of our relationship where I knew that there's a line that you just don't cross. Uh, I was talking to one of our, our kids the other day and, and, and dealing with them about kind of an attitude issue and, and, and a little bit of back talk and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and, and they looked at me and said, uh, what did your dad do when you talked to him like that? And I said, I don't know. Because I never did. Because I knew better. There, were, there was just a line with my dad that I knew not to cross. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I was a perfect kid and did everything right, not by any means. I'm just saying there were certain things I knew. One thing you don't ever do, you don't backtalk my dad. And that there's something about that even with the Lord, right? We, we understand when we're, when we're walking in fellowship with him, he's our peace, he's our comfort, he's our shelter, but that does not eliminate the fact that there is a certain fearfulness. There's a, there's a degree of reverence that we have toward God simply because we know that, 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 that uh, his might and his power and his righteous judgments. And here is the, the struggle of a man who says, I want to be right. I want to be obedient to the word of God. I love the word of God. I love his law. But I also need God's help to stay faithful and right before him. And I think that we find here in this passage kind of a, a recipe, if you will, for how we can live right and stay right even in a wicked world. And even though we wrestle with and struggle with the flesh all the time. I want you to notice the, the first thing he says in verse 113. He says, I hate vain thoughts. But thy law do I love. I think the first 
uh, thing that we need, the first ingredient, if you will, to, to living pure in a wicked world is to guard our thought life. To keep our mind pure and right before the Lord. He says, I hate vain thoughts. That phrase, vain thoughts, the word behind that literally means uh, to be divided or split. To be double-minded, if you will. And of course, we understand from the New Testament teachings that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What does it mean to be double-minded? Well, there might be a lot of different applications to what that would mean, what that would look like. But I think overall we could say it this way. Uh, Christians probably understand what it means to be double-minded more than anyone else. Because on one hand, we have the spiritual mind, don't we? We have the mind of Christ. That It just comes, when you get saved, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got that mind of Christ, and, and even within us we have a, a deep desire to do what's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. There, there's something within us that says, I want to love God, I want to serve God, I want to live for Him. That's just natural for a saved individual. In fact, if that's not there in your life, there's something wrong. And you need to check that out. In the, in the heart of every Christian is some desire to please God. However, on the other hand, we struggle with the flesh, don't we? And, and we've got this constant battle that's taking place between the flesh and the spirit in our lives. And that which God wants me to do, and that which my spirit wants to do, and that which my flesh wants me to do, and what the world tells me to do. And there's that battle. And Paul talked about it in Romans 7. And he said, the good that I would, that I do not. And, and that which I hate, that I do. I mean, I constantly find myself yielding to the wrong thing, and I hate it within me, but that's just, it's, it's a fight, it's a struggle. And so when, when the psalmist here says, I hate vain thoughts, I think this is what he's talking about. I hate the fact that there are, there are things within my mind and my heart that pull me away from God's best for me. But he says, but thy law do I love Within me, I, I, I sincerely love the word of God, which keep, keeps me focused on the right things. Sunday night, I preached on, on uh, really this subject as we considered our thought life and, 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 and the things that, that enter our minds and our hearts that would exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, and, and the things that would keep us from being in, in full fellowship with Him, that we are to, to take those things into captivity, and we're to cast down those imaginations, and, and, and our hearts and minds must be fixed on that which is right and good and pure. And Christian friend, who struggles with the flesh, and I know you do, because I do too, your priority ought always to be to guard your mind, to guard your heart. I, I hate vain thoughts. I want you to hold your place here and go with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. I mentioned a few weeks ago that pretty soon I plan to preach through the book of Colossians. And one of my concerns is it seems I cross-reference Colossians every service just about, and so by the time we get to the book, I might have already preached it all, <laughs> just not, not necessarily all together. Uh, but Colossians 3, look at verse number 1. Look what it says. If ye then be risen with Christ, who is risen with Christ? 
That's those of us who are saved, isn't it? If we are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Then he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. He says, your love needs to be directed in one direction, and it's on eternal things, the things which are above, not on things on the earth. Jesus talked about this, right? He, he talked about not laying up treasure uh, upon this earth, but rather doing so in heaven. And then he, he went on and he, he talked about uh, not, not worrying about our, our needs, our material needs being met in this life, but, but seeking rather to be rich toward God and, and, and laying up our treasures in heaven. And then he, he says, if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. What's he saying? You need to be single-minded, single-hearted. Set your affection, your love in one thing. However, how often do you struggle with vain thoughts, divided loyalties? Yes, I want to obey the Lord and I want to live for Him and, 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 and there's something in me that wants to be pleasing to God, but yet I find myself Loving and investing in the things of this world and allowing even the things of this world and this life to distract me from that which God has for me. And so the psalmist here in Psalm 119 says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And really the, the key to, to keeping and guarding your mind is to fill it with the word of God. Because in filling your mind and your heart with the word of God, what happens? It sets your focus and, and your mind in the right direction, doesn't it? All right, so a guarded thought life. But then notice also verse number 114. He says, thou art my hiding place and my shield. Now, there are several times in the Psalms that we, we find a reference to God being our hiding place. It's a very personal statement. It has the idea that uh, there is a place in the Lord that is your shelter and your safety that you can go to where no one else is welcome. It's a secret place. It's a hiding place. I remember the house that, uh, that I grew up in uh, or at least spent most of my childhood in, there was a, a place when you walked into the house, you kind of walked into the living room. And to your left, there was a coat closet there. And then if you went past that, there was a, a, a room to the left, like a, like a little bedroom there. And the closet between the bedroom and that coat closet, it, it actually connected. It was one one closet, but usually because of the way that coats were hanging and there were probably some boxes in there and things like that, if, if you opened that door and you didn't know that that closet connected, uh, you, you'd never know. I mean, you'd never see it. And so uh, I remember as a kid uh, going in there and kind of setting things up in both of those closets to where it looked like that was the wall. But in between these two rooms, I was able to kind of have a hideout. It was a fort. Boys like building forts, amen? And especially a place that no one else knows about. And I could go in there, and I was the only one. And I'd take a little flashlight or something in there, and I don't know what I did. And I just hung out, you know. It's just, just the place I could get a, a, away and kind of escape and, and, and just hide from everyone else. And 
And what was cool about it? That no one knew about it, right? It was just my place. You know what? There is a, a reality to that in the Lord. That God wants you to have a personal relationship with Him that is only between you and Him. It's, it's wonderful that we come together and we worship the Lord together. It's wonderful that we pray together. It's, it's great when a family has uh, de family devotions and prays together. All these things are good and healthy and right. But folks, that in itself is not a personal relationship with God. And you ought to have a place. The, the Bible calls it a prayer closet, right? It's not necessarily just talking about a physical location. The idea is this. There needs to be something in your relationship between you and God that is only yours. It's a hiding place. It's a secret place. And I believe that if you want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, you need to have a strong personal relationship and fellowship with God. You need to find your hiding place. Nothing in this world could ever compare to the rest that we find in the Lord when we have something that only belongs to Him and us. We sing the song sometimes, Dwelling in Beulah Land. And that, that song really kind of speaks of that. Uh, all the world is kind of <laughs> going crazy and there's the noise of, uh, of strife and all these things. But here am I, safe within the castle, right? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm alone with God. And friend, if you want to live a life pleasing to the Lord, you need to learn what it means to be alone with God. You need to learn what it means to be alone with God. And that means that you're probably going to have to make some effort. You might have to find a physical location where you can get away from the distractions of the world, where you can leave your phone behind and, and, and your tablet and whatever else might distract you, where you can get away from uh, maybe the people even in your own household that, that would distract you. And, and, and you need to find a place where you can get alone with God. And you can commune with Him in a personal and real way. I believe that we ought to be praying over a list of, of our, the, the things that are mentioned here in church. You ought to keep a prayer list of those things and keep those things before the Lord. But you know what? You also need to have the ability to get alone with God and pray and seek His face with no prayer list or 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 journal or Bible reading guide. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. I'm just saying you need to develop a relationship with God where you don't have to have someone or something prompting you other than your fellowship with Him and the Holy Spirit directing you. Uh, you, need to, you need to develop a relationship with God that is real and personal. You need to find your hiding place in Him. A guarded thought life, a relationship, a faithful walk with God. But then I want you to notice verse number 115. He says, depart from me, ye evildoers. How do I stay pure in a wicked world? Well, this is where separation comes in. You need to be cautious about your personal relationships. You want to be right with God? You want to be pleasing to the Lord? You need to guard your relationships. He says, depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Follow the logic with me here. I want to keep the commandments of my God. That means that I have to separate myself from evildoers. 
I need to separate myself from people who are not being obedient to the Lord. I think this is one of probably the greatest downfalls of Christian young people is their friendships and their associations. We, we, we are foolish to think that we can associate ourselves with people who don't love the Lord, who have no, no desire for the things of God, and that we can uh, uh, fellowship with these people and make them a significant part of our lives and not be affected by that. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What, what is that evil communications? The, the word communications has to do with that, that, that concept of our fellowship, our communion. Evil communications corrupt. But isn't it interesting that he says before that, be not deceived. In other words, it's easy for you to be deceived into thinking that you can have evil communications and not be affected by that. But you're wrong. You're wrong. Young people, the people that you are closest to in life will affect you. There's an old saying, and I'm, I don't know who it's original to, but I like it. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people that you associate yourself with, you will become like them. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. One of my jobs as a father, especially a father to boys, is to try and teach them to become men. But not just men. I want my boys to be men of God. I want them to be men who love the Lord and, and, and live for the Lord and, and, and really rise to the challenge of what it means to be a godly man. I pray for them. I challenge them in that. And one of the things that I'm trying to challenge them to do right now is to find some men who are older than them, some, some godly men that they can look up to and to associate themselves with them, spend time with them, to, to fellowship with them, to learn from them. Why? Because he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. That's what the Bible says. You want to be a wise man? Find some wise men that you can be fellowship with and make friendships with. You want to be a fool and you want to be destroyed? Find some fools. And I'll tell you this, it's a lot easier to find fools than it is wise men. And if you just kind of let your guard down, oh, I'll just be friends with whoever. Now, I'm not saying be unkind. I'm not saying don't be friendly to people. But here is what I'm saying. Don't associate yourself with people that are going in the wrong direction. Surround yourself with people who want to know God and want to pursue Him. And separate yourself from all others. Depart from me ye evildoers. Now listen, it may be that you're thinking, well, okay, who are my friends? And maybe those individuals, those people aren't necessarily evildoers, but let me ask you this. Who are the people that you admire and look up to? I, I think a lot of Christians... kind of idolize and worship wicked people. Athletes and actors and politicians 
and whoever else it might be out there, that they admire something about them. A politician, maybe you admire something about their stand or their position on a particular political issue, and you say, well, that's a great person. And you, you listen to them, and, and, and you read after them, and all of those things. An actor, you like their, their work, their movies, their ability. Let me just tell you, there is very, in fact, I'm just going to say it this way, with very few exceptions, there is nothing good that comes out of Hollywood. In terms of the people, I don't care who your favorite actor is and what they, listen, they're, you look at their lives, and 99.9% of the time, it's total debauchery and wickedness. Athletes, the same way. And I'm just telling you, we ought not idolize these people. Don't, don't make these the people that you aspire. Have this in your mind. I'm going to depart from evildoers. I don't want them. I'm not saying that you can't watch a sports game. I'm not saying that you can't watch a movie so long as it's clean and, and pleasing to the Lord in that way. But I'm just saying don't, don't follow after ungodly people. Associate yourself with godly people. People who love the Lord and, and are going to help you grow in Him. Those are the people that you need to, uh, to fellowship with. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6. And this subject is addressed here pretty plainly and clearly. In 2 Corinthians 6, as Paul is admonishing the church here at Corinth, he says this verse that we're all familiar with, verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, okay, I guess I can't marry a lost person. That's not what it says. That's one application to that out of many. But be not unequally yoked together. Why? What does it say? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Separate yourself from ungodliness. And listen. If it doesn't belong in the church, it doesn't belong in your life. You're the temple of God. Isn't that what he said? That what, 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 what agreement, what concord hath the, the temple of God with idols? If you would be upset that someone brought something into the house of God, then that thing doesn't belong in your life either. Because your life, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So what does it say? Separate. Separate from ungodliness and ungodly people. Come out from among them. Be ye separate. 
So a guarded thought life, a, a relationship, a faithful walk with God, caution about our relationships, our personal friendships and relationships. But then as we go back to Psalm 119, and we look at how we're going to go about living a, a life of purity before the Lord, Psalm 119, look at verse 116, if you would, with me. Notice what he says. This is so important, and it can't be overemphasized. He's praying to the Lord. He says, uphold me according to thy word that I may live. Let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up and I shall be safe and will, uh, shall be safe and will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Do you know what the psalmist is doing here? He's saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to guard my thoughts. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to distance myself from ungodly people. But if I really want to be right with you, I acknowledge that I need your help and your grace. You need to depend upon God to live right. You, you will not live a life pleasing to the Lord simply because you determine to in your heart. I believe that you need to make a decision. I believe you need to set some things down in your heart and get serious about this. But your conviction, and I talked about this Sunday night, your willpower will not keep you from yielding to the flesh and yielding to temptation. You need to walk in the grace and power of God every moment of every day. Uphold me. Hold me up. That's what he's praying. Lord, you hold me up. Keep me where I need to be. You ought to wake up every morning and say, Lord, help me today. Strengthen me. Help, keep me from evil. Isn't that even what the Lord told us to pray in, in, in his model prayer that he gave? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I need you moment by moment to keep me in the will of God because I can't do it myself. We're to walk every day, every moment of every day in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, right? We need this. Guarded thought life. Relationship with God. Separation from ungodliness. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And then let me say this also. If you're going to live a life of purity and righteousness and obedience to God, you need to maintain a proper fear of God. You need to maintain a proper fear of God. Look what he says, verse 118. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes. For their deceit is falsehood. He recognizes that God judges unrighteousness. Verse 119. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love thy testimonies. What's he saying? I don't want to be like the wicked that God has to judge for sin. Verse 120, my flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. I believe that there is an element within so-called Christianity, maybe that's even crept into Bible-believing churches, this idea and concept that because we're saved, we no longer have to fear God. In fact, I've even heard people say, perfect love casteth out fear, 
He that feareth is not made perfect in love, so I no longer fear God, I only love God. Let me tell you, that is someone who has not rightly divided the word of truth. Never should there ever come a point in your life or my life where we quit fearing God. 1 Peter 1 and verse 17 says, And if ye call on the Father, who's he talking to? Not the lost of the world. Who calls on the Father? Well, if I call to God and I call him my Father, that's assuming I am his son. I am born again. I am part of his family. If ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. In fear. Now, I understand that this doesn't mean that I live my life afraid of God. I'm thankful that because of the blood of Christ, I can come boldly before the throne of grace. But friend, there ought to be something in your heart, an awareness that you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that ought to cause you some hesitation. It ought to cause you to really go, I need to be sober about the way that I'm living. One more place I want you to turn tonight before we close. 2 Corinthians once again, but this time chapter 5, if you will. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that in the, the book of Proverbs tells us a couple of times that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's just gotten done talking about how He's willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He's looking forward to and anticipating heaven. He wants to be with his heavenly father. But notice what he says in verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Listen, I'm ready to meet the Lord. I told my wife, it probably wasn't two years ago. I said, I don't know, you know, if God would have me to live to 100 years old or if he'd call me home at a young, I don't know. But whatever it is, I want you to know something. I'm ready. I want her to know if I die tomorrow, she doesn't have to mourn over me. I understand a wife ought to probably weep for her husband, okay? But, but seriously, if I die tomorrow, just rejoice with me. I'm, I'm ready to go home and meet the Lord. I mean that. As a young man, God's blessed me, he's given me a wonderful life, but there is so, I'm awaiting the day that I get to see him face to face. I have no qualms about that. If God called me home tonight, I'd be thrilled. But don't think 
But that means that I don't have it on my mind. Someday, I'm going to have to answer. I'm going to have to answer for some things that I'd rather not have to answer for. And I'm not going to answer them to you or my wife or my kids. I'm going to answer before my creator, the judge of all the earth, who is always right. Do you see that there's a degree of soberness in that, in that awareness? Is it possible that sometimes we get a little too comfortable dabbling in the things of the world because we've forgotten about the judgment day? We haven't kept a proper fear of God in our lives. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I'm not afraid to, to die. I'm not afraid to go. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm excited to meet my Lord and be face to face with him. But I ought to fear. I ought to have some soberness and, and sobriety about my life. Knowing that every idle word, isn't that what Jesus said? Every idle word, I'll give account for that. I'll have to be honest, there have been a lot of idle words in my life. Idle words, vain thoughts. So let's strive to be pleasing to the Lord. By guarding our thoughts, staying in fellowship with Him, watching our associations and our relationships, depending on the Holy Spirit, walking in His Spirit and being filled with Him, and keeping the judgment seat of Christ always before our eyes. That the Lord might be pleased with us and say, well done when our life is over. Amen.